0: Welcome to Smart Parent Successful Students Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Panos. I run a tutoring company for K-12 through students who need help with reading, math, writing, study skills, ACT, SAT, prep, and more. My tutors work both virtually and in person. We specialize in really getting to know your kids and helping them thrive. I was a teacher and leader in a Georgia school system for 25 years, I saw what worked and what didn't, and there are definitely some gaps that teachers can't touch, which is why our tutors are so important. Teachers can only do so much. I'm here to bridge that gap between parents and teachers, to help your kids become successful in school and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Smart Parent Successful Students Podcast, and I'm your host, Helen Panos. I am here today, again, with a new guest, and her name is Emily Chirkin. Is that correct, Emily? You got it. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Well, I know you have a very important um, subject to talk about, and that's all about, like, screen time, right? Yes. (laughs) And kids. (laughs) So I I know your company's name is uh, the Screen Time Consultant, and um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce Emily, and we'll get started. A former middle school English teacher and parent of two, Emily is the Screen Time Consultant. Uh, She owns the company, witnessed the simultaneous rise of technology used for school and smartphone and social media used for kids. Today, Emily consults with parents, schools, and organizations to bring her tech-intentional approach to parenting and screen time to as many people as possible. Emily's book, The Screen Time Solution, A Judgment-Free Guide to Becoming a Tech-Intentional Family, will be released in January 2024. Very good. I can't wait to hear and read that. So tell us a little bit, Emily, about your journey to where you came from and got you to what you're doing today.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I started as a classroom teacher. So I taught middle school English for 12 years and loved working with that age group. And my first year in the classroom was around 2003. And at the time... No kid had a phone. Not, I mean, maybe one kid would have like a flip phone, like a really old school one, and they'd be totally embarrassed that they had to carry it around. Like my mom makes me take this, and you know, it was just not a thing. And social media was non-existent. Within a few years, I started to see a big shift. Um, first, it was social media. You know, hearing about MySpace and Facebook—that was sort of the early iteration, and then. Started to see more and more kids getting devices themselves. So over my 12 year span in the classroom, I really witnessed this big change from no phone, no social media to by the time I left the classroom, it was like 95% of my students had phones. And it was also at the same time, I saw a lot of tech use for school really starting to change. At first, it was for me as a teacher, you know, tools in the classroom, grading online homework stuff. And Mm -hmm. I mixed feelings about it. I wasn't sold right away at all that it was a good thing. And then what ended up happening was increasing that of children and students, asking them to use tools or have laptops. And so it was sort of a perfect storm of things coming all at once. And I I just felt, I can't ignore this. This is literally the elephant in the room. (laughs) My kids are coming in, you know, upset about something they saw online from the night before, or the phones are now a distraction in the classroom. So I just started talking to them about it. And I had an aha moment, which was, this isn't a kid problem. This is an adult challenge. And it's our job as adults to address it. It's not our fault, but it's our responsibility. Right. So right. that led me to launch the business, um, just working with parents one-on-one, but doing a lot of um, speaking presentations to school communities and um, people who work with parents, You know, just trying to help them learn more about it to know how to help their communities more.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: yeah, Um, and I'm a parent. So I guess that's the other important detail, right? It's like, I have a 12 and a 15 year old now. And oh my gosh, I mean, my entire parenting trajectory is impacted by digital tech. And I I have made big mistakes and learned a lot from that process. So I I (laughs) want to, I think it's important that I'm living and breathing it at the same time I'm teaching other parents about it, because it's it's
0: really hard. That's true. It makes a big difference when you're le- loving it and breathing it. That's so true. Exactly. <laughs> and I, as you know, I have a tutoring business, so we go into the home, so I see it and you hear it, it, so I feel like I'm part of the family, too, and experience that. Exactly. even though I don't have kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a big difference
1: to yeah. witness it firsthand, yeah that's that's so true so
0: true um so when should kids you think get a phone that's a big big
1: question (laughs) it's a big question and it's one of the ones I get asked all the time and I'm going to give a very um direct answer first and then I'll explain it I often say to parents get your kids a phone when you're ready for them to see pornography violence (laughs) bullying yeah you know hate messaging eating disorder content that's when you get them a phone and usually Mm -hmm. that shocks Parents enough to go, wait, what? And let yeah. me explain. <laughs> the reality is these are not just like a telephone. They're full computers that we put in our pockets and walk around with all day. And so if we're gonna hand that over to a child, we mm-hmm. have to have that conversation first. So if we're not ready to talk about those uncomfortable topics, then our kids are not ready for internet access in their pocket. And That being said, I think the other piece of this that's really important is nuance. It's very different for each family and each child. There are some Mm -hmm. kids, you know, teenagers who could handle having a social media account or a phone, but I definitely think the majority of younger children cannot. And I always want to put a caveat and you would know this with your tutoring work that like there are some children for whom a digital tool is um, a learning support tool and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking like a nonverbal kid who might use it for communication or some diagnosed learning disability where that is the solution, but the way I frame and so those are not the kids I'm talking about right. I am talking about the kids for whom that isn't the game changer in the learning environment, but my feeling on that is what we've done is said look all the kids in the classroom need eyeglasses even though only a couple of them have vision needs and so mm-hmm me this is like we don't just hand them all glasses and say go for it only a couple of them might need it right so there's a lot of nuance to this and honestly the later parents can wait to give phones the better but i also know that makes parents jobs even harder so it's a all tricky right. question
0: <laughs> that is a tricky question and yeah you're right as an educator i I mean, gosh, I use my phone, even if I see a word, I don't know. I'm like, let me look it up real fast.
1: (laughs) Right, right. And one of the things that I think we've gotten so comfortable doing that, but what we do as adults is what our kids are going to do, whether our students or tutoring clients or our own children. And, you know, I, I had a, I did a podcast with an educator a couple of years ago. And one of the things I had said was, when you are looking up words in the classroom, cause she was doing, it was a bilingual class. She's like, oh, I use my app all the time. And I was like, well, one thing you could do is just think about, is there a non-tech alternative? Is there an option I can use like a dictionary or a book? I mean, yeah, it's bigger. Yeah, it's harder to like do that. But there's actually some really valuable learning that goes with that, that tactile experience of touching a book. and. You know, I I spoke recently to an occupational therapist who said she's working with young children who cannot turn pages in a book because they're so used to digital swiping and tapping. Uh, That is a direct impact on brain development. And so, you know, when we as adults make choices to use text to sort of get the answer, yeah, it's convenient, but maybe there's opportunities for us to, you know, bring that book with us, bring that dictionary because of what it models, right? And because there is a skill built in for that, doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that tech can't be there as a tool, but it doesn't have to be the go-to all the time. That's what I believe. I think there's value in the analog.
0: (laughs) Right. And I actually, I still love books. I much rather read them where I'm flipping the pages. I can highlight easier and then go back to the easy. I don't know. And I, I just have it right there and I'll just pick it up. It's not I agree. Not on the yes. screen where I mean I can kind of read a book. I don't know. I guess still in the dark if my husband's sleeping or whatever. I can I can kind of use a little baby flashlight or whatever whereas yes. the screen is going to be you know pretty bright yes. and or if you dim it you know, you're not really going to be able to see it.
1: (laughs) Well, and there's something too, like I bet if you have a book that you love that you've read a lot and you can think about a part of the book that you're like, oh, I loved that section. In your brain, can you visualize what part of the page it's on? Like, oh, it's in the beginning in the lower left corner. Mm -hmm. That's location memory. And when children read on a screen or even on a Kindle Like we get a bar that tells us how much we've read, but we don't have the physical sense of like, oh, I'm only a third of the way through the book. there's the thick stuff, you know? So there is something powerful about that experience. And you and I grew up reading the books on paper in school. And a lot of kids are not doing that. And that's sort of hard to even imagine, but that shift to digital tech has happened pretty quickly. And I'm not sure we've seen the long, I know we haven't seen that long-term Like what's Mm going to happen that these children aren't growing up with as much of that physical tactile book that
0: we Mm -hmm. grew up with. Yeah. I I always love looking to see how many more pages I have to go. Right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's like the satisfaction
1: feeling, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And that's very different when you do it on a screen versus on the book. So Mm -hmm. very important. Yeah.
0: So what parental controls do you recommend?
1: (laughs) Well, this is another, probably the second most asked question that I get. And I have another cheeky answer for this, which is that I actually don't recommend parental controls. I recommend parenting, but that's putting an onus on parents. And I recognize that like, again, this isn't parents fault. What we have to remember is that the phones and the apps and the games, and even some of the ed tech platforms have been designed to hold our attention and So I always say to parents, it's not a fair fight, you're not fighting your child, you know, because your child is bad or weak willed you're fighting a hijacked neural pathway. And parental controls are an illusion, I think, for many parents to quote, unquote, keep kids safe. And I understand the instinct. And that's a good one, right? Of course, parents want to keep kids safe. But I have a, a few concerns about them. And one of them is that, They don't, they're using technology to solve a problem that tech created. And the best parental control is the relationship we have with our kid to have ongoing conversations, how we model our use of screens, how we talk about, you know, what do you do when you get sent an inappropriate image? Not if, Mm -hmm. when, because it's going to happen, right? And so I think a lot of times parents look for parental controls as like the magic solution that's going to solve all of these problems. And so unfortunately, many of those companies are limited even in what they can offer. So, you know, a lot of times they'll say, well, we'll alert you if your kid downloads a social media account. But the problem is they cannot monitor in-app content. So it'll only tell you if your kid downloaded it. It won't tell you what your kid's doing in the chat. And Mm -hmm. part of the problem I have with that, too, is just the surveillance piece, right? Like, I'm not convinced that over-surveilling our kids is necessarily better for their mental health. That doesn't mean we should let them have free range online, but (laughs) the surveillance part of it cannot displace the relationship part of it, and so I think parents, again, are well-meaning. This is not our fault, but it's our responsibility to learn more about it. So I always say like, if that relationship piece is in place and solid, great. If you've talked and modeled and delayed and limited and done all these other things, fine. Then maybe a parental control or a monitor or filter can be a third layer of protection. But too often, I see it flipped the other way and they just, parents just want that control parent control and then we're good we're good we don't have to worry and I, I mean every single parent who calls me for coaching says we had ex parental controls, and my kid found the workaround so they don't work if they did if they worked we wouldn't ask get asked that question all the time right and it's digital whack-a-mole you know like the arcade game when you try to mm-hmm. that's what it feels like when we try to monitor and control these things We might block a few things. We might think we're protecting from some things. And then tomorrow ten new things are gonna pop up. So it just takes us away (laughs) from from that. So it's
0: hard. I I always say I feel for parents, they got a lot to do. And and then yeah, technology is so fast. So right when you think you've solved one problem, here comes another. And here comes another. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's
1: exactly right. And then then we get focused on trying to keep up with it. And I would argue that that's at the expense of focusing on the relationship to the kid, which is fundamentally
0: the most important part oh, Yeah. at the I end know. of the day. A special message from Dynamis Learning Academy. We know how COVID changed the world. Parents have always worried about the summer slide, but now children will be battling the COVID slide this year as well. Dynamist Learning Academy will help close gaps in writing math and reading through tutoring and special workshops. At the end of the day teachers can't do everything but as a parent you can reach out to us to help your child soar. Contact Dynamis Learning Academy at 770-282-9931 or go to our website at dynamislearningacademy.com what should we do about technology use for school, you think? <laughs> yeah. So,
1: I always I see this as a really two-pronged problem. The tech at school. There's the tech for school, right? A kid has a laptop or an iPad or they're supposed to access Schoology or Google Classroom to get their homework assignments or upload stuff. And then the second problem is the school is the devices that kids bring to school like the phone. So, I talk to teachers a lot too, and it has just totally changed a classroom environment when kids have phones. So, the first thing that I think needs to happen with screen use in schools is to get kids' devices and adult devices out of the school. Now, that's not the approach that many schools take. Some ignore it altogether, or they leave it mm-hmm. up to the teacher, or they ban it from the school and it's inconsistent enforcement, which is a problem too. But the reality is until the devices are far from the learning environment, the learning environment will always be disrupted or distracted or, you know, inter, you know, interfered with. So that's a hard thing. But I do think that's got to be the first step is be that voice for change in your school. And if your school has an away for the day policy, that's golden. I would also encourage parents to ask about teacher device use. And I'm saying this as a teacher who had a device at school and we would, you know, by the end of my teaching career, yeah, you were texting your colleagues. But I also managed to speak for 10 years without that. So it's possible, right? Like we can (laughs) still find ways to communicate. And that is about the modeling again, like what kids are seeing. So that's problem number one. And it's a big one is getting the personal devices out. But the kid, the ed tech piece, that's really tricky. And I do a lot of activism around this is that I am not of the belief, and I'm sure you can agree with this too, that learn more tech earlier is not better for learning and brain development, with that exception that we talked about earlier, like the learning disabilities. But mm-hmm. for most kids, learning to read does not require an iPad. In fact, no. I would argue it interferes with that process and distracts them and makes the whole learn like remember the turning pages skill is important still too for brain development. So I always say less is more, later is better and relationships first, you know, like this again with a teacher-student relationship is important. I do believe that kids need some skills about how to navigate tech. I think learning good research skills and what's misinformation and disinformation and knowing how to tell, mm-hmm. that's really important. Mm, that's skills. really important now, nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, amen, yeah, and and unfortunately there's just, somebody said getting information from the internet is like trying to take a drink of water from a fire hose. And that's it. It's like, if our kids don't have any sort of filter and I don't mean a monitoring filter, I mean a critical thinking filter. Experience. And they're not, they're not going to know. And it's, you know, Google's easy. If I don't want to do research on my history question, I just type the question in Google and Google will do the research for me. But Yeah, that gets me the answer, but it bypasses the skill. And that's what school is for, right? Is the skill building that will help set us up for future success in
0: adulthood. Well, I'm going to throw another question at you. And I think you'll be able to answer it. What about the AI, uh, you know, phenomena that's coming up here? You just mentioned about Google and, you know, it kind of takes that skill away. Plus, they've got it again, even more importantly, have a critical thinking maturity yes. to be able to determine is this AI stuff? And we have a whole series of blog, right. uh, blog on this um, that one of yes. my tutors did. Like you got to have that, that skill yes. to be able to determine right. is this correct information? And I'm hearing all kinds yes. of things even as an entrepreneur. Oh, AI can write your speeches for you. Oh, AI could do this. And I'm like, I can't wait next week. I'm at a conference to see what they say nice. along with that. <laughs> Wonderful.
1: I think keeping learning is so important because technology changes and AI is getting more and more sophisticated. It's been around for a long time. It's just there's been a sharp uptick and more publicity about it. And you're absolutely right that the critical thinking piece for us to understand, is this real or is this generated by a machine, right? Is this algorithm, what am I seeing, how do I know is even more important. But what we, what hasn't changed is brain development children's brains aren't fully developed until they're well into their 20s or 30s, right? That prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. So they don't have the ability to discern those truths. In fact, that's why again, that skill building is so important and that's still what needs to be happening in schools. So I, I you know, I think AI is really important for us to be paying attention to and talking about it. And I, I know some schools are banning chat GPT and like saying it's not allowed, which is great. But the reality is kids have cheated and used Google for finding answers far before ChatGPT came up. So this is digital whack-a-mole again. If you try to ban that one, there's other ones popping up every day. So mm-hmm. the solution in my mind is conversation, relationships and you know learning the skills that will help kids know you know what's okay and what's not okay. And you know this is why I always talk about being tech intentional rather than anti-tech. There's amazing things that AI might be able to do as an entrepreneur or, you know, medical mm-hmm. science. I mean, that, I don't want to say that it's all bad, but it's, you know, the the who holds the power of it and how it gets used and how it can be harmful is something we have to talk about and look at. And you know, I do hope that our politicians are listening and paying attention. That's certainly going to be an important part of this. But it mm-hmm. will still come down to parents and teachers. you know, like it's our job to really, be on top of this and it's just one more thing and we're already <laughs> have a lot of things on our list it's so. kind of like
0: when they were using wikipedia at first to do research and we're exactly. having to explain to them that that's the yeah. go-to because if you google stuff what's going to come up first wikipedia exactly <laughs> and that's their, and now that's their go-to source <laughs> exactly
1: and and google has gotten more sophisticated and is pushing content based on our previous searches you know and this is the problem i have too with the ed world is about the data and privacy elements you know that these third these companies are selling kids data to third-party companies that profit off it you know and these are five billion dollar companies i mean power school which owns uh schoology it's worth five billion with a b you know meanwhile schools are strapped for cash they're closing they're you know really struggling with budgets and so it to me it's like how is how is this tech company getting billions of dollars from the data of our kids and the schools are struggling. Like if we're going to be signing contracts with big tech companies, which I don't think we should be, why are we not benefiting financially from that? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think we should sell kids data. I think that's fundamentally wrong and unethical. And I think parents have no idea that this is happening. So that's a lot of my activism and, you know, data's boring. People go, oh, Google knows everything I do anyway, right? Like why do I care? But it it does really matter. And it's so different, even just in the last few years than it was even 10 years ago that we really have to pay attention to it. You know, it's really a safety all, thing.
0: all of this goes back to screen time consultant, right? And uh yeah. puts them right back into a screen again. The yeah. more interesting things that are developed, like AI or whatever, and the more right. hype there is about using them, the more it puts them right back on the computer yeah, <laughs> instead of them book. using the brain that they were given. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and, and I always I, say- what, what I'm seeing too, Emily, is an issue with like uh in test scores that I'm looking here in Georgia, oh. especially and everywhere. I mean we're doing kids in California too. Uh informational text, right? So they don't know how to decipher yes. and use those yes. critical thinking skills. To figure out reading passages, especially showing up in reading uh, or graphs. So some of that, where that, where is that weakness coming from? Who knows? Could it be screen time? Yeah, abundance of everything being given to them, answers being made a little easier, Uh, and the
1: shorter form content of social media and you know news posts.
0: Oh, yeah. You should bring that up because do you know that the SAT Digital 2024 in March is going shorter? digital all digital and shorter i think they're going to chop it down about 30 to 40 minutes it's going to be more of a a diagnostic like the iReady is where you answer a question and then it'll get harder but then like i was just talking to a kid i was tutoring and yesterday in fifth grade here and i said uh so you're not trying hard enough why are you not trying hard enough do you understand that these tests are getting ready to be all like this you must oh keep gosh. pushing forward or you're going to yeah. be sitting back here with the rest of the average, let's say, or below average. They may turn to below average later um, if you're not pushing and motivating yourself to try to think harder, to try to figure it out. Oh, so that's-, that's how they'll switch out. That's how they keep from the cheating happening when they're doing digital because yeah. the questions will all be different at different times. So that's a a way to do it. And they're already doing it with iReady, the test. Wow, I I didn't
1: realize, you know, but that's so interesting too, because I mean, shorter form is, on the one hand, I think less testing is good, but if it's trying to address this like decreased attention span, that's not great. Why is there a decreased attention span? And then if kids are not incentivized to push themselves, because tech actually makes life easier for us, then why would they be incentivized to push themselves on a test if they know it's only going to get harder? So that's not going to be an accurate reflection of their ability, right? Like, Mm -hmm. what a
0: mess. (laughs) And then I think ACT will be pretty close behind. This one's already been talking about it. And I'm guessing maybe SSAT will go that way. I think they already are looking at it. And ACT, the act. So probably PSAT as well. Probably pretty much all of them, I'm guessing. So that must mean, you know. Uh, medical test, uh, teacher test, right. maybe, uh, everything. Wow. And, you know, law That's test. a
1: fascinating whole nother area to think Amen. about. I will, yeah. So and you and have what to does that mean? That. Yeah, well, it goes back to books don't have algorithms, right? Like if a test is digital, it can have an algorithm that can drive different types of questions. And maybe there's advantages. But at the end of the day, kids, it's much harder to cheat with paper. Right. That's the thing that I always go back with to back to the AI question is like, if we're using paper and pen pencil, a lot harder to cheat. I mean, it's a lot more obvious when you're cheating. Right. And so Mm -hmm. why if we there's a simple solution here, right, is not get rid of all the tech, but be more intentional about when we use it.
0: Mm -hmm. So can you uh, I know you uh, were going to offer the audience something, I believe. Yeah. Reach out to you. Tell us what social media channels you're on as well.
1: I, I recognize the irony of being on social media as a screen time consultant, but I'm there and I do have a team of people who help me with my stuff. So I am not on it all the time, but Instagram's the best one probably or LinkedIn, depending on kind of what people prefer. I have a Facebook groups um, and pages and Twitter, but I don't post much there. It's, <laughs> it's just there and actually TikTok. I don't even have the account on my phone, but my assistant does it for me. So that's where you can find me. But actually, my biggest recommendation is to go online. I have a new website up um, very soon by the time this airs. And it's thescreentimeconsultant.com. And if you sign up for my mailing list, I write weekly essays about parenting and screen time. And um, I just get a lot more in-depth on some of these issues. And so that's a great way to learn more and oh, and i guess i also teach free monthly webinars so it, the topic varies from month to month but it's a quick 20 30 minutes just to kind of hear some thoughts on those topics and i take questions at the end if people want to chime in so oh. that'd be great yeah so and i have my can, book coming uh, out
0: <laughs> can they join that uh, newsletter through your website
1: yeah. Having- so there's a sign-up link right on my website. I don't spam you. I don't sell your email address. <laughs> it's just purely to, to send you the email list. So okay. um, and you're on and Instagram, and- LinkedIn, and are you on Facebook as well? Yes. Okay. Yep. All the big ones. And yeah. And my book is coming out January 9th. So you can you can pre-order it on Amazon, but you can also order it after it comes out. And my hope is that that's a useful tool for parents to kind of figure out how to navigate all of this.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time today and coming on my show and sharing. uh, We're all about sharing value and information because that's how we all, you know, gain knowledge, gains power. So, amen. (laughs) Wonderful. Rat, rat. You know, kind of come together and figure it all out because, hey, not everybody's going to tell you. School systems aren't going to tell you necessarily. You know, and you may be able to get in with psychologists or doctors, and they may or may not know. Everybody kind of just stays in their lane (laughs) exactly well thank thank you you for having me yeah it was a pleasure to meet you again I hope to see you all on the next episode of smart parents successful students bye for now thank you for listening to smart parents successful students podcast I hope this episode has been insightful and inspirational Wherever you're listening, be sure to go ahead and subscribe to get the next episodes and to join our email list by going to www.dynamuslearningacademy.com backslash podcast backslash. Also, it would warm my heart if you reviewed the podcast on Spotify and shared it with your community. And remember, I believe that every child would benefit from getting extra support outside the classroom, whether they are struggling or are part of an advanced or gifted program, because teachers just can't do it all. Please connect with me about our K-12 tutoring, SAT or ACT prep classes, and writing workshops to help your child excel in school. I can be reached through email at Helen at dynamuslearningacademy.com or by phone at 770-282-9931. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.